This is Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar on Mile High Sports. Welcome back to the show. The Denver Nuggets knock off the Milwaukee Bucks in the high stakes game that, that you sort of hoped you were going to get against Philadelphia. Injuries obviously uh, took that away, but the Nuggets come out on top there too. They will take on the Oklahoma City Thunder, who they now lead in the Western Conference standings by a teeny tiny bit because it is tight. And joining us now to talk about it from Mile High Sports is uh, the tip of the spear for our Nuggets coverage here, Ryan Blackburn. You can find him on social at NBA Blackburn, the host of the Pickaxe and Roll podcast, the LU podcast. And uh, I was uh, sitting at my desk watching uh, him and our friend Swiper Cam put together some videos that will be coming soon. So keep an eye on that. You'll want to follow Ryan for all of that. And thanks for joining the show, Ryan. You're, just before we jump on to the, the one with the thunder, this is an interesting kind of run for the Nuggets. You know, when you think about uh, the end of the last road trip, that the, they take on Boston, they beat Boston, the only team to beat Boston in Boston at the time they did it. Now they, they go ahead and they beat Philadelphia, obviously minus Embiid. They have an opportunity to take on the Thunder after beating the Bucks. Uh, the Nuggets are getting, Sandy said at the beginning of the, the show, there are eight teams that are playoff locks. Well, the Nuggets in about the span of two weeks are going to get four of them. It's <laughs> funny to see it. It's absolutely funny to see because it, this has been a, a streak that he's been talking about for a while. Uh, this this 10-game segment that they've been on that included a five-game road stand, uh, like you talked about, it included some teams at home and now wraps up against this OKC Thunder team on Wednesday night, although uh, both teams seem to have some guys on the injury report, so we'll see what happens there. Uh, but, yeah, it's, it's been nice to see, and Denver has shown up in a big, big way during the stretch. They're so far 7-2, and two, and that's about as good as you can ask for for any, any stretch that includes facing some of the best teams in the league. We'll get into the reasons why they've, They've been so good in in going seven and two over the last nine games. But it, when I look at the Nuggets month by month, I'm amazed by the steadiness of the Nuggets. Uh, there are three teams in the NBA that over the three full months of the season, November, December, and well, January's not quite over yet, have have been the steadiest. Denver, Oklahoma City, and Boston. Denver has nine wins, ten wins, and ten wins the last three months. Oklahoma City, 9 wins, 10 wins, 10 wins. Boston, 11 wins, 12 wins, 10 wins. Everybody else is a little up and down. Those three teams are the steadiest. Does that tell us anything? I know it's regular season, but does steadiness steadiness during the season translate into being strong in the playoffs, in your opinion? I think steadiness right now, in, in this stretch of the season and in, in kind of the December, January, February range, I think is the most important, uh, not necessarily in October or November. Like you, you just try to get as many wins during that stretch as possible while you learn your team. Uh, but some of the teams that we've seen stra- start really strongly in the past that, that have started in October and November really well, they've fallen off. Uh, I think about, uh, like I think about a variety of teams, but, one of the teams that I think about peaking too early uh, is the 2021 Utah Jazz and the 2021 Phoenix Suns, where both of those teams, like or uh, 2022 Phoenix Suns, excuse me, uh, where both of those teams really had like massive, massive win road streak or winning winning streaks during the regular season, 
and there's something to it. Like you have to be a top three team in your, in your conference in order to advance to a championship. But there are some kind of, I guess, gaps there where you have to work on things along the way. You can't just abuse the same formula time and time again. You have to learn. You have to grow. And in order to do that, you've got to make mistakes. And I, I think we've seen that really emblematically with Denver with their bench unit. It was a really big positive last night starting to figure some things out with Reggie Jackson and Jamal Murray and Peyton Watson and Christian Brown like have some, have some really good games with them over the course of these last couple. So I think we're seeing some progress. I really do. And, and for Denver specifically building towards the playoffs is more important than staying consistent throughout, in my opinion, because we know what they can be in a playoff setting. It's just about building up to that. The idea that, we talked you know, talking about the bench. To, to, to my mind, that's a big part of this because we knew that the bench was going to take a hit with the loss of Bruce Brown. And it, it's going to need to grow together. They are not uh, where they were, obviously, with Bruce Brown. But as Sandy has pointed out before, they actually are, when you're talking about maybe the most important stat, uh, the, where they stand when Jokic is off the floor. They're actually ahead of pace of where they were at this point last year. So when you look at the bench in particular, are you still bullish that they have enough here at this bench with the uh, emergence of Peyton Watson, the incremental improvement of Christian Brown? I don't think Christian Brown's been worse. I think the league is aware that he's been there and he didn't take a second monumental leap. But do you think between Jackson with Brown with Watson and it seems to be that that uh, DeAndre Jordan, despite his age, has completely made Zeke Nagy invisible. Do they have enough? I think there's no doubt that they have enough in order to get it done. The real question to me is, is whether that's okay, is whether that's good enough. And what you try to do around the deadline, if you're a championship contender, is you try to look at your holes in your roster. You try to understand what are we good at? What are we bad at? What do we need? And what do we desperately need? Right now, Denver doesn't desperately need anything because if Aaron Gordon is going to be – if they're going to be like Aaron Gordon's going to play back of five for the majority of the playoff minutes, if they're going to go small, if they're going to be versatile, Peyton Watson has shown what he can do. And Christian Brown, for as, as much as I think it's been a slight disappointment this, this season with him, he's not going to make so many mistakes in a situation like that, that it's actually going to hurt you. It's, he's just going to pass the ball to the stars and the stars are going to have to get it done. Uh, but I do think that one of the things that they could benefit from is just getting another body in the front court, somebody that they trust. They haven't trusted Zeke Naji, and that's the one where I, I, I look at the holes on the roster, I see that position in particular, and I think, man, what happens if Aaron Gordon rolls an ankle? What happens even if DeAndre Jordan can't go? What's, what if he's unplayable in a series? Like, what do you do in that situation? Do you go to Zeke Naji? Are you comfortable with that? Can Denver trust that? I think it's a fair question, and I think it's probably something that I would identify before the trade deadline, see if I could find the right player to add to the mix. Um, We talk about the Avalanche all the time and how much Georgiev is playing, right? And we're the same kind of conversation with the Nuggets as we had with the Avalanche on backup goaltender and the need if they're going to make a deal. Uh, the need being greater for a backup goaltender. Same thing with the Nuggets. I think backup center uh, is maybe the need spot. Um, I, I don't know what you could get. Uh, it, it, I 
guess you could put a package draft picks together with Najee and maybe get something. But uh, he, I, I agree, and I've been more bullish on him than uh, you've been, or uh, certainly than Sean's been. <laughs> certainly than but I've been. I have to concede, you, you know, he's really not a part of the rotation. Jordan uh, played last night, and you know, Milwaukee has no size coming off its bench, right? <laughs> Playing small, and they still went right. with Jordan uh, over Najee. Uh, last night, actually, Jordan did okay uh, for the eight minutes he played. But that leads to my question. 40 more minutes last night for Jokic, and they were hard minutes. I mean, he played very, very well. He also shot 10 for 25, and I'm thinking 40 minutes and 40% shooting. I'm worrying not about the 40%, because obviously he shoots well over 50%. I'm worried about the 40 minutes, though. And it's been closer to 35 to 40 than 30 to 35 here lately. How much of a concern is that? Because you don't want to see him here after they played 48 games. This is almost five-eighths of the season. And he's playing lately between 35 and 40 minutes. That's too many, isn't it? Uh, of course it is. There's there's no doubt about it. Um, I think that one of, one of the things that stands out about last year and what Calvin Booth tried to do was in trading for Thomas Bryant. Thomas Bryant wasn't necessarily going to be a playoff player for Denver. What they wanted to do, and unfortunately it was just so bad that it didn't work, yeah. uh, what they wanted to do was be an innings eater to, to draw mm-hmm. a Major League Baseball reference here somebody who could get you through the regular season, who could help you spell Jokic for a little bit. You run pick and roll. You have a guy like that who could be somebody who's a little bit more potent on, on the offensive end than the other options that Denver had. Obviously the theory of the practice was good. It did not work. And like Denver's kind of left without three second round picks from that deal. Unfortunately, Uh, I think that if Denver did that, this year they'd be a little bit better equipped to handle it just because I think the, the bench lineups that they're running, it really doesn't put a ton of strain on the big man. All you have to do is either roll to the rim and hit a floater or a jump hook, or you have to guard and you have to rebound. And Denver can find a guy like that who can get Jokic's minutes down. And that's, that's really where we kind of circle back to for this is if Denver can find a guy who can help them play Jokic 30 minutes? Because that's really what we're asking for here is trying to keep his minutes slowed down, trying to keep his burden down and make sure that he's not tired and exhausted by the playoffs. Now, what I will say, Denver does a great job. They won't be in the play-in this year, obviously. They're not going to be competing for a one seed all the way to the end. My guess is that they will be happy with what they get and if they, they get to 50 wins in the regular season, basically, with about 10 wins to go or 10 games to go, my guess is they start tamping down Jokic's minutes to that anyway. They'll have a week off between the regular season and the playoffs because of the play-in tournaments. And the minutes will kind of naturally go down because of that and some rest and some things like that. But I, I do agree with you that the minutes have to come down. But right now, you just got to get through it until the, until the All-Star break, especially. And you have such an advantage in the fact that it, it really is the comparison between Nikola Jokic and, say, Joel Embiid, who I'm not trying to pile on, but Jokic just doesn't miss games. And I, th- I think it's fascinating now because 
because of the, the the missed game by Embiid, who, by the way, is listed as questionable tonight. Surprise, surprise. And did not play last night. Uh, right. Now, now you're going to have to pay attention to that. But it, it is intriguing because Joel Embiid in, in the odds of MVP has plummeted because oh. now the idea is he won't play 65 games. Right. This is where, you know, we refer to it oftentimes in the NFL, where, you know, your best ability is availability. But Jokic's availability has never been in question, and the idea that he's still kind of uh, some doughy, slow-footed center, I think, has gone the way of the dodo, and rightly so. But now you may be looking at the top two candidates for MVP in the game on Wednesday because it is Jokic and then a guy that I know you love, Ryan, and Sandy and I have been touting him for years as well, Shea Gilgis-Alexander, who absolutely deserves to be in that mix. My favorite Kentucky player. I don't have a lot of favorite Kentucky players, (laughs) but he's my favorite Kentucky player. Maybe a little bit. It's not Jamal Murray? Come on now. Come on now, Sandy, yeah. no, it's okay. He's um, brilliant, I, though, and and nothing against Jamal Murray. Uh, Jamal Murray is great in the playoffs, and that's all that really counts. Uh, Shea Gilgis Alexander hasn't proven one way or the other because they haven't been in the playoffs, but they'll be there this year. And even when they lose, like in Detroit the other night, is how do they get killed by the Pistons? He plays great. <laughs> he doesn't oh, yeah. have no, a lot of company, but he plays great. Just about night in and night out, and he's he's just spectacular. And I think that the 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 Nugget Oklahoma City deal is fascinating because they played three games head to head, and the road teams won every game. Yeah, so here's here's a quick preview for tomorrow's game. Jokic popped up on the injury report as questionable with mm-hmm. low back pain. Uh, that's something to watch out for. You, you mentioned his durability. Yeah, maybe they should try to get him a game off here. And maybe there. No, I, I wouldn't try to. Maybe. wouldn't try to get him the maybe. one where it's the divisional game and you get a tiebreaker out of it. But well, that's, that's after game. this one, they get a home and home over the Friday and Sunday against the very bad Portland Trailblazers. Yeah, good, good yeah. lord, sit him on one of those games. If not, well, if could, not both, I'm, I'm saying here's a chance to give him a Me week too. off. That's what I would do. I'd sit him in both. Yeah, you know, there's there's certainly an opportunity there for sure. Uh, but the other side of things, just looking at the OKC injury report, Shea is questionable with an illness. Lou Dort is questionable with left ankle soreness. Chet Holmgren is questionable with a left ankle sprain. Jalen Williams is out. He rolled his ankle really badly oh. last night. Now that's and the Santa Clara Jalen Williams, right? Yes, exactly. J-Dub. Uh, and, uh, yeah, he's an all-star. So that's a big, he's, it's going to be a little like Philly, isn't it? Uh, maybe even on both sides tomorrow maybe, night. Maybe then. so. Uh, a lot of the star yeah. power then, gone. Uh, one of the X factors for them, Isaiah Joe is also out. Sure. So I, they are, I like him too. They are really, uh, they're really feeling it out. They've played a very, very tough schedule over oh, the course of January. I agree with so, that. They, it's, uh, it's been that that's why their steadiness is impressive to me. Uh, they've had yeah. a ten and six month of January with all these road games, and now you know illness and injury at the end of the month uh, cropping in. This has been by far Oklahoma City's best month, and I think it's probably the toughest schedule they've played if you can take into consideration all the road games they've had. Oh, there's no doubt. They uh, they also know that the All Star break can't come soon enough for them. Correct. So, uh, I Correct. I don't expect all of those starters for them to sit like I still expect Shea to play I still probably expect Chet to play as well uh if Lou Dort sits that's a big thing for for Murray specifically yep. because he struggled with Dort yep uh but I'm looking forward to this matchup this is a big one as I mentioned before on the tiebreaker front 
Denver's lost two of their first three games against OKC. Yep. If they lose the third, they will be down tiebreaker, and they'll also be down a game in the standings to a team that they're trying to like complete home court advantage against during their regular season. So this is a big game. This is a, a three-game swing, basically, between – uh, tiebreakers and actual winning percentage for for this one. This is this is one of the ones that you circle on the on the old standings, and you say this is this is one you got to get. He is Ryan Blackburn. Make sure you give him a follow on social at NBA Blackburn. Of course, uh, everything we, that you see from Mile High Sports, uh, he's over there milehighsports.com, and you can get all his work in the app, the uh, LAU podcast, the Pickaxe and Roll podcast. We get Swipa. This man is busy so we're glad we had an opportunity to talk to you ryan really really appreciate it and we're looking forward to to more as uh, the nfl season comes to a close and uh nugget season uh, for a lot of fans really becomes the focus as the champs make another run at it so thanks for the time thanks guys really appreciate it go nuggets all right thank you ryan blackburn joining us to talk about the nuggets that will be a huge game tomorrow and you're right injuries all over the place but it turns out this is look it's it's going to be January 31st, I get it. But he made that point at the end. He's right. It kind of is a three-game swing, not only in the standings, but in the tiebreakers, but in the fact that this is now their third game of the year against one another. It becomes oh, fourth. fourth, pardon me. It, it It's it's 2-1 Oklahoma City. Yeah, so this is an important one for the Nuggets. We'll find out what happens on Wednesday. I want to remind you over at Superbook Sports, we're changing the game, win some money this season with Superbook Sports, the most trusted name in sports gambling, with a direct line to Las Vegas. And now, when you use the promo code Mile High, you'll score up to $250 with their first bet bonus, and that means win or lose, Superbook will match your first bet up to $250 with the promo code Mile High. Download that Superbook Sports app, enter the promo code Mile High, and you'll get $250, courtesy of Superbook Sports. Visit Superbook.com for terms and conditions. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. We hinted at it earlier in the show. We hinted at it with Dan Mormon. We're going to stay with the hardwood because the local college basketball action is definitely moving in some big weeks on tap for the local schools after last weekend was a bit of a downer. So we'll see where they'll bounce back. Sandy has got all the goods next on My Life Sports. Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar, presented by Superbook Sports. Download the Superbook app and start winning today at Superbook.com. Here's Sean and Sandy. Last weekend for CU, CSU, DU men's basketball. Uh, maybe not disaster, but not good uh, as they all take losses. Even the CU women now drop from three to five. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but they find themselves uh, after a loss dropping a couple spots as well. Let's let's start with the men, Sandy. Obviously, you've paid uh, a close attention to, to all three of these programs. And where do you want to start? Well, uh, well, we'll start with the University of Colorado. Um, I, I think their loss of the three losses was the least damaging. Uh, I would agree. It, it Out was, of the three programs. It was a road loss. They just won on the road at Washington. They were playing Washington State. Now, the interesting thing is Washington State 
is listed by Joe Lenardi, the bracketologist from ESPN.com, as one of the first four teams out at the moment. So not good to uh, lose so to them. <laughs> losing to them is is not helpful. No. And it did knock CU down from a 10 seed to 11. And ordinarily that wouldn't make that much difference. But in this case, the projection for now is that CU and Seton Hall would play one of those four preliminary games as two 11 seeds for the right to play a six seed in Clemson in the East Regional in Memphis. So CU is a 65 through 68 team at the moment, as is Seton Hall, and Seton Hall's a good team. In other words, not a lot of room to maneuver, though. CU doesn't have, at this point, an automatic entry and it, it into the field of 64. And it really speaks to the weakness of the Pac-12 this year that the projections have only three Pac-12 teams making the national tournament. And one of the three is CU, a program right now slated to have to play a so-called play-in game to get into the field right. of 64. So they only have two teams that get in clean and, of course, one of those two teams is Arizona, a two-seed. And uh, I'm assuming uh, that uh, the other team, I can't remember exactly uh, who it was, uh, other than CU, would be back to Arizona State, maybe, yeah. uh, at, at this point. That could be, right? Um, I, it's, kind but, of, it's kind of a it's mushy But you there. know I mean, who's out? Six, First four three, out? Five and four. Washington State. Okay. Second four out, Oregon. Just saying. <laughs> Oregon played a lousy non-conference schedule. They didn't play very well. They lost a bunch of games. But at least they, they lost to Colorado, at the very least, and they didn't lose that one, so that they did beat Oregon, well, but the loss no. to Washington and, State is but still, concerning. You know, CU has had some very, very nice wins uh, this year. Um and I, I think, see, listen, for now, CU's undefeated at home. Right. And that they've got a road game on Saturday at Utah, but after that, a very favorable home schedule. And the big game of the year will be February 10th, CU in Arizona, up in Boulder. Good news for CU. Uh, CU wins that game. At- I think CU gets in. If they lose that game, I think they'll probably have to win the conference tournament to get the automatic bid um csu well let me let me before you go there i want to i want to point out because today the john wooden late season watch list came out of course with the t- top 20 players involved in that colorado has one of them i mean mixed in with the hunter dickinson's of kansas and the zach Eadies of purdue and the deron holmes dayton tyler Kulik, Mar- marquette kj simpson one of the 20 players remaining on that wooden award watch list that's impressive that a year? i mean it indicates yeah, how good a year he's good having year. on a and, team that i get it they're on the borderline but but again, I, they're on the borderline. But when you look at the buffs, remember that they are fifteen and six overall. Well, they are. Yep. And it, again, it's been a respectable schedule. Uh, the last four teams that got buys and, and are close to CU: Memphis, Texas, Providence, Texas A and M. Last four in: Nebraska, Seton Hall, CU, 
and Boise State out of the Mountain West just making it in. Boise one of the State, five by the way, games. in the in the latest rankings, one of the teams in the also receiving votes category, in which they got five in the yeah. AP. The Rams dropped out of the rankings, but were they to go into the other receiving votes, the Rams would be 31. They had 10 votes. Boise State only had five. So wow. the perception for the Rams is still pretty the good. Rams lost to Boise State, but right. they lost on the road to Boise State. So it, it, it was a cost at loss, but too. they've they've got to start getting it done at home. But they're not. It wasn't a a disaster of a loss. It was a concerning loss, and they've got to start getting it right. You're talking about the Rams. I, I think that was close to disastrous. Yeah. You can't have a nine point lead with 40 seconds well, left and blow. True. The but I mean, in, the, lo- in the longer term, I don't, I don't care. Unless you think that this for the voters, that may be a defining factor. Just that well, particular it loss. knocked them down uh, a spot from six to seven. I'm surprised it didn't knock them down more, if not entirely out of the projected field, but uh, maybe uh, Lenardi and his analysis comes to the same conclusion that you did. Uh, yeah. It, you know, the way they lost the game was bad, but the loss in and of itself was not disqualifying. Wyoming's not a bad team. And Wyoming's not in the tournament. Wyoming's not in the tournament, though. R- correct. And I, I th- again, it was a bad you loss. don't lose games with a nine-point lead in 40 seconds. Yeah, you don't. Really shouldn't. You don't. Not unless Rodney Rogers is on the no. floor, which well, I don't think he was. Where is no, Rodney? I don't know. Yeah, I was... It was just very, very disappointing. And the disappointing aspect is they, they, by winning, done themselves a lot of good. Now they have no margin for error when it comes to losing at home whatsoever. And they've got to get a couple on the road, maybe at least one that they're really not supposed to get. Well, but they anyway. Get, they get anyway. one tonight uh, in front of a national audience. They get their right. game in Moby against San Diego State. That's well, a 7 p.m. tip. They uh, have it. CBS Sports Network, that's the one where people are looking. You have yeah. to have this one. Yeah. All right. Uh, CSU right now projected seventh. Uh, they would be in Charlotte in the south region playing Providence a 10 seed, and I saw Providence a little bit right. against Georgetown the other day. Quite the scene because Ed Cooley, uh, for years, has been the excellent coach at Providence, left in the offseason under controversial circumstances to go to Georgetown. Georgetown comes in the other day, and uh, the Providence fans were not pleased with Ed Cooley and chanted throughout the game profane chants, if not racist chants, at Ed Cooley. Uh, Obviously, a lot of that is uncalled for, but Providence good team. And um, I, I don't think that would be your – if you're a seventh seed, that would not be your favorite 10th seed team to play uh, in the tournament. But uh, CSU for now is number seven, one of five Mountain West teams. The strength of the Mountain West is helping CSU because losses in the conference aren't as damaging as losses in the ACC would be. I mean – Duke's a four seed. If Duke lost last night Mm -hmm. to Virginia Tech at Virginia Tech, they won by 10. If they had lost that game, they wouldn't be a four seed, I promise you. They might be a five, but they could have dropped all the way down to a six. Uh, That's how weak the ACC is. You've got North Carolina and Duke, and then a fairly big drop down to Clemson, and that's it. Those are the only three teams that would make it. Heck, the Atlantic 10 has two teams that are going to make it 
ACC has three teams. Pac-12 has three teams. Mount West has five teams right now projected. And that hasn't changed a lot in recent weeks. Yeah. And keep in mind that tracks because if, if with the Rams projected as a seven seed, remember, of course, there's four, right? Because you have four clusters of 16 teams. So that really equates to somewhere between 28 and 31. If you were right, to add that, right. Well, no, they're ranked guess, about guess where they where should I be. Guess where I told ranked. you they were right. in the AP. If the also receiving votes counted, they were thirty-one. Right. So yeah. we're right. So on they're they're, they're right there. And you know, at this point, they don't have to win the conference tournament, but but they've got to stay clean at home and pick up a win or two on on the road between now uh, and uh, the end of the season. At DU, of course, playing out of the Summit League regular season doesn't mean anything. Uh, the conference tournament winner, the automatic qualifier, is the only team that's going to make the tournament. So, uh, you know, losing by 19 at home to Omaha uh, wasn't terribly encouraging the other day, but all that matters for DU, whether they finish first, second, third, or lower than that in the Summit League in the regular season, all that matters is the tournament, and they've got to win the tournament. Yeah. Win the tournament, they're in. But you'd like um, to make sure that you get those, you'd like the seating. You'd like the preferable yeah. seating, and they yeah. now have three in a row on the road. Just to give you an idea how tight it is. These are the one seeds. UConn, Purdue, North Carolina, Houston. These are the two seeds. I don't think there's that much difference. Marquette, Wisconsin, Arizona, Tennessee. Here are the three seeds. Kansas, Creighton, Alabama, and Iowa State. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 tight at the top. The conference tournaments are going to make a difference. Tell and me- the four seeds are Kentucky, Auburn, Duke, and Illinois. So, I, I mean... Kentucky, yeah, Auburn, Duke, Duke and Illinois in a lot of batch, years. Those are four ones. But, you know, Kentucky, Kentucky's got a very young team. They're back to the one-and-done uh, philosophy. Very young team. Uh, Auburn's good. Uh, Duke uh, with Filipowski is good. And Roach uh, was great last night when Filipowski got in foul trouble. Illinois is very solid. Uh, that's the four. Those are the four seeds compared to the one seeds. If you you put Kentucky and UConn, let's say, together, if the game's played in Lexington, I'm picking Kentucky. Uh, If it's Auburn and Purdue, if it's at Auburn, I'm picking Auburn. Uh, Duke and North Carolina, the great rivalry. Who knows how that that plays out. Illinois and Houston. I saw Houston play a Texas team that I don't think really is very good last night, but they played it in Austin, and Houston had to go overtime to win the game. And Tommy, Houston played well. Tommy Bruner of DU still leading the nation in scoring, 26.1 points per game. So remember, uh, you can always go catch those Pioneers home games. They're on the road for the next three. But that's a, that's a program you can walk up and get yourself some seats. You want to go see the top score in the country, you can absolutely do that. I want to let you know, by the way, that it was we all understand the Colorado home market has been absolutely crazy for years. But let me tell you how you can navigate it. Talk to my friends, Dave and Mark at Key Real Estate Group's Colorado Luxury Home Team. And when I say Colorado's Luxury Home Team, it doesn't mean you have to be in the market for a luxury home, although they can certainly do that for you. But it means you get that high-end luxury service. And whether you're buying or selling a home, that's what Dave and Mark will do for you. They're experts that know the Colorado market. They know the highs and lows. They're a privately held company with 25 years in the same offices. The stability is there. The experience is there. The Fed's expected to lower interest rates 
in 2024. So beat the competition and buy your new home before that frenzy returns to Denver. Maybe you're even thinking of a new build. Well, home builders are offering great incentives, so let Dave and Mark represent you to make sure you're getting everything you deserve. Call Dave and Mark at the Key Real Estate Group today at 720-900-LIST. That's 720-900-LIST. Or visit them at keyrealestategroup.com. The Denver Broncos uh, coaching staff, front office, and um, assistants are getting shaken up a little bit. Couple coming in, maybe one going out. We'll talk about it next on Mile High Sports. Write you a song to make you fall in love. I would already have you up under my arm. I used the ball of my tricks. I hope that you like this, but you probably won't. You think you're cooler than me. This is Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar on Mile High Sports. For the last couple of years, the Denver Broncos defensive backs coach Christian Parker has been considered one of the up-and-comers around the league. The Denver Broncos defensive backfield, uh, to a man, has raved about Christian Parker. They understand that he's one of those guys that's that's quickly going up the ranks. He is now interviewed for his second defensive coordinator job. He had an opportunity to interview for the one for the Patriots. Didn't get that under Gerard Mayo, but is also interviewed now for the Packers. And the Packers one is interesting because in this case, there's background. Parker was a defensive quality coach uh, for the Packers before moving up to D-backs coach for the Broncos, and that was under LaFleur. Now, he worked for LaFleur, and then and that, would, that was uh, Mike Pettin, who was the coordinator at the time. Uh, he's not there anymore, but, of course, think about the coordinators he's been under. Vic Fangio, one of the guys that at least under the way the modern NFL is working, is getting a lot of credit. Jiro Evero, another a guy that it will soon be a head coach. And, of course, uh, Vance Joseph. And proving that he has now been able to work with all of these different coaches. Three, he said three years with the Broncos, three different coaches. Yeah. His coordinators. He's and, a survivor. <laughs> and, and you know what? That's he impressive when you're also very, only 32 very years good. old. Right. And, very and um, think about this. The Broncos were really the last team to contain Jordan Love this year. Because after that Broncos game in which he threw for 180 yards, he threw for 180 yards and two touchdowns. But one was a ball that bounced and landed to, in his receiver. And after that, Jordan Love ignited. So the Broncos were really the last team to, to contain him. So the familiarity with the Packers, the fact yeah. that he's done the oh. job under multiple coordinators, if, if I'm the Denver Broncos, I would hate to lose Christian Parker. But, but if, I were, if I were the Packers, You're going to lose him. I'd hire him. Yep. I'd hire him if I were Green Bay. I, I, think, I think he'll get the Packers job. I think job. that's the time. I think he'll get the Packers job. And listen, uh, Seattle head coaching job still open. Washington head coaching job still ben Johnson open. Johnson turns that down. Uh, if Aaron Glenn took the Washington job because they were in Detroit to interview both Johnson and Glenn. Well, Johnson pulls out uh, apparently because he wanted more money than Washington was willing to pay. And maybe Seattle was willing to pay. Um, but they go to Aaron Glenn. They're in Detroit anyway. And they were going to talk to Aaron Glenn along with Ben Johnson. Now they'll just talk to Aaron Glenn. I think Aaron Glenn will take the job. And if somehow Christian Parker doesn't get the green Bay defensive coordinator job, 
Uh, I think he's got a great chance to go with Aaron Glenn, assuming that Aaron Glenn is the choice now in Washington. He does feel like it feels like at a certain point that Parker Parker's departure is inevitable, whether it's this offseason or next offseason. And you can acquire other defensive backs, coach. I get it. But if you're the Broncos, that that has sort of some mixed emotion, right? Because this team has not been good for a long time. It's actually, as strange as it sounds, I guess, for, for Broncos fans at times, it's actually a good look for your organization to have your position coaches go up to be coordinators or your coordinators to be head coaches because it shows that there is a consistency of quality in your organization. The Broncos actually haven't had that consistency of quality, but Parker has found a way to rise above it, and I think that definitely stands out. So best of luck to him one way or the other. The Broncos, I'm sure, would love to have him back, but I think that it may be time for him to take that next leap, even though he is only 32 years old. The Broncos bring in a couple of guys familiar to Sean Payton. By the way, let you know this offseason, we'll be saying guys familiar to Sean Payton uh, a lot because this is how Sean Payton is going to operate. He's going to bring in his guys, the guys he's already worked with as much as possible. The Broncos are bringing in former Saints offensive coordinator Pete Carmichael as a senior offensive yeah, assistant. He was, he was surprisingly let go by the Saints yeah. a few weeks ago. And, and uh, Carmichael and was the... the minute uh, I saw that, yeah, uh, you knew where that was going. Knew where Pete end up. But Carmichael is a, an, an interesting choice because he was the offensive coordinator for Sean Payton the year that they won the Super Bowl in 2009. Now, he wasn't calling the plays, of course, because Sean Payton calls the plays. But offensive coordinators that don't call plays often work with your quarterbacks if you're not calling the plays. And you do wonder if Davis Webb, in his first year as a quarterback's coach, and it was something of a surprise given that Webb was even younger than the quarterback he was hired to coach, Russell Wilson. And you pointed out, Sandy, in a couple of times where Wilson got balled out and by Payton that oftentimes – a more veteran coach for a quarterback might have stepped in and said, he's gotten the message, coach. Why don't we focus on the rest of the game? I'll talk to him. I, I suspect that if I'm Davis Webb, I'm not feeling super comfortable with that addition. Yeah, probably not. Uh, Davis Webb is very young. Uh, I think we all remember uh, the incident in Detroit when the Broncos were struggling to score to try to get back into the game and they failed on the goal line and uh, Peyton went after the officials with some justification, I imagine, and for whatever reason then decided to attack verbally Russell Wilson with Davis Webb standing and not right once but twice. Peyton even walked him. away and decided I still wanted to yell more. Yeah. He came right back at him. And may have been yelling to a degree at, at potentially Davis Webb, Webb as well as Russell Wilson. Um, Remember, Carmichael so, was a quarterback's coach also. Yeah. So, and I, I don't listen, know. We'll see. Uh, He's an assistant. Right. You're right. Uh, but when assistants we have no have, yeah. better example than Nathaniel Hackett under Matt LaFleur, not calling plays, but earning the trust of quarterback Aaron Rodgers. And the only reason that Nathaniel Hackett is still the offensive coordinator of the New York mm-hmm. Jets is that. Aaron Rodgers is still the quarterback and firing Nathaniel Hackett would incur the wrath of Aaron Rodgers. And so in case Hackett you, uh, survives right. because he's friends with Aaron with, with Rodgers. The quarterback. And Carmichael obviously is 
friends and colleagues with Sean Payton, who have worked yeah. together, and he ends up in Denver. But it, you don't have to look much further than up the road in Boulder to find that senior offensive assistants with nebulous jobs uh, find themselves in defined jobs. Yeah. The second one of the more defined job holders uh, doesn't exactly knock the head coach's socks well, off. Well, senior offensive assistant sounds like a coach to me. It does. Well, the Broncos created a new position for another uh, ex-Saint when you're talking about now. how you feel if you're Joe Lombardi, too. Uh, well, he's been with Peyton a while, but uh, yeah, I would I would think about it. I don't know. Depends on what quarterback he's you the get, the offensive huh? coordinator. Depends on what quarterback So I think his get. job might be the one at risk more so even than Davis Webb, but we'll see. The Broncos also bringing in the Saints, now now former assistant director of college scouting, Cody Rager, of course, had been uh, over a decade working with the Saints. And that means he's familiar with Sean Payton. Well, Rager was brought to the Broncos to uh, now have the position that was newly created for him, vice president of player personnel. That's not a bad step up. So the Broncos have him there. Now, the interesting part is, Vice President of Player Personnel. Now, who's normally, if you were to say, had a job of President of Player Personnel? Well, there's another term for that job. What's that term, Sandy? Oftentimes, what do we General call it? General Manager. General Manager, is that what it is? Okay. So the guy below that, the, 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 the Vice President, is the guy that Sean Payton knows that he's worked with that is now directly under George Payton. And Sean Payton is definitely running the show so, hmm. yeah. Um, wonder how long it'll be till Cody Sean Payton has an ally. <laughs> and, an that, ally. and that ally is the guy directly below the and GM. And they've created a new, a new position, position for, him, for him, one spot below the sitting GM. Well, it, it, George Payton, again, this is nothing personal. I, I'm know and I have great respect for a lot of folks. I don't know George Payton, but I, I know and respect a lot of folks who think George Payton's a, a fine football man. I think he a is. A perfectly capable general manager. Um, I don't know what he's proven along those lines. I don't know what he did as assistant general manager to make him proven uh, to uh, uh, anybody who hired him as, as a GM. Uh, Vikings never won anything. They they drafted one quarterback, Christian Ponder, in the first round, and he he went bust. Um, That's the knock, right? Because so I, I, I'm if Payton's I were George Payton, to land stars, I I already know I, I have question. no power, and now I'm getting squeezed by uh, right a, a new uh, staffer who is going to be uh, vice president of player personnel when they have not previously had vice president of player personnel. And I mean, listen, the Broncos have historically had one of the smaller, if not the smallest, management staff, scouts, and the like in the NFL. Cincinnati historically has been pretty small. Right. Uh, the Broncos are pretty close to being right next in line as the smallest scouting staff, front office staff, and now they create a new position, and maybe this is ownership's way of saying – uh, or even Sean Payton's way of saying, we're moving into the uh, 21st century, boys. Yes. Uh, you've been living in the 19th for far too long. Potentially that's the case. And and, and obviously we will find out what happens or there. The 20th. Yeah. We're moving into the 21st century. Yes. 
You're, you've been in the 20s. Yeah. College football uh, coaching. I, I don't think he'd say you've been in the 19th century. College since football, football coaching didn't in the 19th century. Yeah, well, yeah, certainly not in its current form. But not, yes. not professional. <laughs> right, not professional at all. But, yeah, it is going to be an interesting fit for the Broncos. We will see as Peyton continues to consolidate powers expected. Sean Peyton, that is. And um, that that's a good way of putting it. That's sure. exactly what he's doing, yeah. isn't it? It's consolidating power. Right. That's exactly what it is. And that's, quite frankly, what the Denver Broncos ownership hired him to do. Take it over, I suppose. run the show. Yeah. That's what they hired him to do. With the results of it, we will see soon enough. It's been great talking with you. Terrific yesterday, Dan Mormon from Colorado Preps and Ryan Blackburn, of course, from Mile High Sports. Make sure if you missed any of that, you can go to MileHighSports.com or grab the free Mile High Sports app and get any of those interviews at your disposal whenever it's convenient for you. Thanks to Danny Bailey in the booth. He's the one that makes everything work, literally everything. Sandy and I have two dials, and they do, they work on volume. That's all they do. So otherwise, it's all Danny Bailey. So thanks to you for listening, whether it was FM, HD, whether you were at MileySports.com, or you could watch it, the show as well, or on the app where you can do that as well. And watch the program, get everything on demand, the easiest way to get everything, MileHighSports, and check out the Colorado Preps app while you're at it, too. Also free. We will be back tomorrow with our Wellness Wednesday, but we've got to step aside. Catch us tomorrow with uh, the same three of us and Dr. Rick Perea in about 22 hours. But for now, we're going to leave. You don't have to go anywhere. I mean, why would you? You're on the right spot already. This is My Life Sports.